Hey guys, welcome to my podcast. I pray you are empowered to walk in the fullness of your God design. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And remember, enforcing purpose, it starts with you. So let's start with this. I want us to know that we are all designed for connection. We are created for connection. It is part of our design. Uh, Science will tell you that the greatest human need is to feel a sense of connectedness, to feel a sense of belonging. The book is called To Love and to Be Loved because we want to capture the fullness of what it looks like to walk in a healthy relationship. There's an old adage that would ask the question, what is greater, to love or to be loved? And if we asked each one of us in here, probably each one of us would say, we find it easier to love or we find it easier to be loved. But we're created for both. Like a, 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 a divine dance or a divine exchange, we want to enter into relationships where we feel freedom to love the way we love and we feel freedom to be loved the way we need and like to be loved. And tomorrow we're going to be talking a lot about the nuts and bolts of relationship. We're going to be talking about the, health, the, the traits of a healthy relationship, the traits of an unhealthy relationship. We're going to be taking a look at some of the things that the world tells us and what does the Bible say that is called in, in, uh, in regard to, to relationships. But tonight I want us to start, start with taking a look at our relationship with God. And what you're going to find this weekend is if you came in this room because you have unhealthy relationships all around you, you're like, I need to fix my mother, I need to fix my brother, I need to fix my sister, I need to fix my roommate, we are not going to be talking about any of that this weekend. And here is why, because every relationship starts with you and God. Every relationship starts with your relationship that you have in your closet with the Lord. And to the same degree that you are able to be intimate with your heavenly Father, it will be the same degree that you are able to cultivate intimacy with others. Now, I'm going to back up here for a moment because we're not even going to be talking about intimacy with others. After we talk about having a healthy relationship with God, we're going to be talking about the next step, which is having a relationship with you. So in the Bible, it says, what is the greatest commandment? And God says, the greatest commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. And we're going to be talking a lot tomorrow about the importance of falling in love with you. And it's not a popular message. Religion has kind of squelched it, and we're going to talk about that. But tonight, I want us to talk about what it looks like to fall in love with God to stay in love with God, to live in a honeymoon phase with God. Well, I talk about that honeymoon phase because a lot of times we have this expectation that it's normal. It's normal to have cold seasons with the Lord where we don't necessarily feel the fire of God and we don't necessarily feel the passion of God. Is it normal? Or have we just justified a loss of love in seasons? Have we justified a loss of passion? Part of what, uh, uh, what's the word? Part of what 
part of what stimulated the book, what brought the book to my mind is what Brad and I were going through at the time. We were, had been married about 24 years, and we were getting ready to celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary. And, um, you know, we had it going on. We functioned super well together. We have six kids. And so, um, you know, we, we began to realize that um, there were some things in our marriage that weren't as fiery or as passionate as they were the first year we were married. And um, Brad and I kind of entered into a season for about a year where we just decided there were some things in our relationship we wanted to redefine. That there were some patterns that we had established that we didn't really like. And I'm going to share a lot more with that, about that tomorrow when I'm talking about the nuts and bolts and some ways to actually redefine patterns in existing relationships. But let it be said this. So let me, let me give you an example. Brad and I, Brad has always worked out of town. Um, and so we have learned how to function very well. He's out of town a lot. A lot of time I'm out of town on the weekends. And so sometimes we don't cross paths. And when the kids were little, I was always super tired at night. He was working during the day. And so we just didn't talk on the phone. We didn't interact at all. Of course, that was when you didn't have text. And so we established a pattern of when Brad was out of town, we just didn't interact. And I was okay with that because that's just how we functioned. But when I really stepped back after 24 years, I started asking myself if that's the pattern that I really like. And so it took a lot of courage for me in that moment to say, you know, I don't, I don't think it's good that we go seven, eight, nine days sometimes without interacting. And things are happening in the house, and I'm taking care of the kids. And to be honest, I kind of feel like a single parent sometimes. And lo and behold, Brad was like, it's not my favorite either. But I just feel like when I call, you're in something with the kids, you're up to your elbows and poop, whatever it is. You know, and so thus the pattern had been set. And so we decided we would partner together to change the patterns in our relationship. That's just one example of things. Brad's not a super romantic guy. I am super romantic. I love affection, and I love to be wooed. And so I had justified Brad's lack of romanticism and just saying, well, he's just not a very romantic guy. Instead of putting the demand of God, his God design in him, which God is a romantic God, is he not? Instead of putting a demand and saying, I'm not okay with you not romancing me, that's a need that I have. And him then taking the courage and saying, okay, well, let's partner together if you're willing to teach me. And he even said at one point, he's like, you know what? The Lord told me if I watch him and the way he allures you, he'll teach me how to allure you. And so, but it took a lot of courage for us to say, man, we want to we recapture. We want to rekindle. We want to we reignite the fire. And enter back into that honeymoon phase. And so I want to talk about that, that honeymoon phase. When we're talking about entering into a relationship with the Lord and keeping that fire burning, God is a God who is continuously alluring us into love. Now, I want you to know that a lot of times we get it backwards. Religion has got it backwards. It was an epiphany for me when I realized that my relationship with God was not about my love for him. It was about his love for me. Okay, the Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. In fact, it says this, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. We could preach all day just on that verse because some of us have not known. Moreover, we have not believed. 
Because I would like to propose to you that the root of every issue in every relationship goes back to fear. And according to this verse, you have fear because you have not been perfected by God's love. So I just simplified all the counseling in the room. I just gave out the counseling secret. We're always looking for where is the fear and how has this person's love in Christ, God's love for you, how has it not been yet perfected in that spot? That's what it says. It says, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have the boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so we are in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. Can I get an amen? There's nothing worse than feeling fear. It involves torment. I said to Kenneth earlier, I'm like, I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous about kind of switching up. I feel some anxiety. I like, no, I, no, I was like, no, I really do feel some anxiety. And so I was like, okay, where am I not allowing the love of God to be perfected? What is my fear? Oh, that I'm not going to perform well. Oh, that the anointing is not going to fall on me just like that. Oh, that I'm not ready. What, all of those things, the answer is, but does God love me? The answer isn't, oh, of course you'll speak well. Oh, of course you'll present well. Oh, of course. The, an the answer is even if you don't, I know and I believe that God loves me. See, I'm not perfected by the things I say up here. I'm not perfected by the way you receive a message. I'm not perfected by my relationship with you, Melissa. I'm perfected by the love of God. And at the root of every relationship if we're honest with ourselves, we're looking for the ways to be perfected by that person, by that thing, by that relationship. I want it to be perfected in the thing or in the person instead of being perfected by God. It says that love, fear causes torment, and it says, but he who fears has not been perfected by love. In the message it says he has not grown into a sufficient understanding of God's love for him. This is a process because every day is a process. And I'm continuously entering into different circumstances, different situations, different conversations. And moment by moment, if I am not feeling saturated, aware, believing, and knowing the perfect love of God for me, I'm going to flub it up. I'm going to feel rejected. I'm going to feel offended. I'm going to feel like it's personal. And it's all going to become about me. Instead of going, this moment isn't about me. This moment is about God's love for me. This moment isn't even about me loving God. This is about me just receiving, believing, and knowing that I have been perfected by love. A godly love, not my husband's love. Not my children's love, not my friend's love, by God's love. You understand when I put an expectation on my husband's love, you, got, you guys know that disappointment is a pre, is a, or pre expectation is a predetermined disappointment. Yet you're just going to get disappointed, right? Because I'm looking to that thing to perfect in me what only God's love can do and has done on the cross. It's already done it. So we're going to be talking a lot about this word reconciliation. Now, let me, let me give you a little bit of a visual. Do you guys, 
for those of you who are like my age or maybe older, do you remember in, when we were in grade school and they had those little transparencies, the little reflector projector things? Yeah? Okay, so do they still have those, Kaylee? She's nodding. Oh, not in my classroom. Okay, so, okay, I remember they would put like this blank there and you'd be following along or whatever, and then all of a sudden she would magically lay another transparent down there and it would fill in the blanks. And you'd be like, oh, there's all the answers, right? And it would, because what she would do is there would be all these questions with all these blanks, and then she would reconcile one transfer with another, and they would come together and become one. Okay? And it's the visual that the Lord has always given to me of what it looks like to reconcile his spirit with your soul. So when I'm constantly trying to line my soul up with the Spirit of God, I'm trying to reconcile truth. I'm trying to reconcile his truth. So in a moment like this, when I say to Kenneth, no, I really am feeling some anxiety, I'm like, okay, I need to reconcile God's love for me. I need to literally walk through that. I still walk through those things. He still walks through those things. Kenneth, I know we all think he's perfect in the room, but he still walks through those things. Reconciling and being very intentional. So we're going to be talking a lot about reconciliation. So while I'm going to be focusing on this love exchange with God, or stirring up intimacy with him, I think it's important that we must remember that we have to receive love from him first before we can bring back love to him. So... If you could think with me for a moment, every time you say, I love you, God, I worship you, God, instead of saying, I love you, God, you're listening, you're receiving, and then you're responding, I love you too. I love you too. And so you're learning to walk in this response to God's love for you. See, it takes the pressure off. You can't love him enough on, on your own strength. But the more he pours his love into you, the more you saturate, the more you come into an agape love and you learn to walk in this agape love where you just start loving people who are otherwise very unlovable. And some of us in here, for you, that's the person you look at in the mirror. Now, you haven't learned to reconcile even your own design, your own gifts. Some of you haven't reconciled your past. And I'm telling you, it starts with receiving God's love in every spot. So I want us to go to, I am going to read scripture to you. I want us to go to Revelation chapter 2, because we're going to be talking about this passage, because I want us to talk about how do we cultivate, intentionally stir up a honeymoon with God. I want to live in the honeymoon. I don't ever want it to be stale, stagnant, or rote. You know, have you guys ever gotten up and like, I get up, I do my devos check. And then I listen to worship music on the way to work. Check. And our relationship with the Lord becomes very stagnant, very rote, very traditional. And if we're not intentional, just like in our marriage or in a friendship, if I'm not intentional to cultivate a to love and to be loved interaction exchange in every relationship, what happens to that relationship? It grows stale. It gets stagnant or it just fades away. And so a lot of us have gotten very stale or very stagnant in our relationship with the Lord. 
So let's go to Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. The angel, of the, the angel of the church of Ephesus writes, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. And that you cannot bear those who are evil. We're doing pretty good, church. And you have tested those who say that they are apostles, yet are not. You have found them liars, and you have persevered, and you have had patience, and you have labored for my name's sake, and you have not become weary. Well done. Check. 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 We're doing good. But then we read the next line. It says, nevertheless. I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Now, this got a hold of me when I was writing this book, because as I was really intentionally pursuing, working on, staying up late to have difficult conversations with my husband, to be intentional to redefine the patterns and keep the fire aflame, I began to realize that it was just a picture of my relationship with the Lord and that somewhere I had lost my first love. It goes on, it says this, Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come quickly to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has given an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will, everybody say I will, I will give to eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So if you would with me, we're just going to kind of follow along in this passage and we're going to talk about some of the components that we learn in this passage. Well, the first thing we learn is that you can be religious, you can be retreat, routine, and you can be traditional but not be in love with Jesus. I'm going to say that again. You can get up in the morning and read all the scriptures in the world. You can act like a Christian. You can serve in the church. You can make a gazillion potlucks. And I say that because I actually got kicked out of a church because I couldn't make a casserole. Anyways, but, um, but I'm not bitter. Um, so I was accused of loving people outside of the church more than I loved the people inside the church, and I didn't even make a casserole for our last potluck. Um, I kid you not. Isn't that funny? I do find it comical. Um, but you can do all the right things and still not be in love with a first love. Jesus can, can still not be your first love. You can act like it. You can talk about it. You can quote about it. You can sing about it. You can dress like it. And it can still not be the case. It can still not be your first love. So I want us to talk about returning to your first love. Now, now think with me for a moment. When you first came, one of those first times you ever had that aha moment, right? One of my favorite messages that I've ever given is about the Malach Yahweh, the angel of the Lord, the not your ordinary angel. It's the theophany in the Old Testament that comes and he kind of brings an aha moment to the people where they're reminded of who they are and what their purpose is, right? Over and over in the scriptures, we see God injecting himself and going, let me remind you 
of who you are and the power that you carry and the purpose that you have. That's the Malach Yahweh in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord when he shows up. So I'm thinking about that, those moments where we have that, oh, God, you love me. And you're overwhelmed. And, and you, you, you feel almost tangibly a presence begin to move either on you or in you, and you get overwhelmed with a love that's not from this world. And I don't know, maybe some of you in this room are like, I don't, know, I don't have any idea what she's talking about. And maybe some of you are like, I've felt that a time or two. And maybe some of you are like, man, I felt that on my way here today. But what I would like to propose to you is that's what we're supposed to walk in. We, sh we should never be coming out of that pocket, whatever we want to call it, his pocket of love, his pocket of glory, whatever we want to call it. We should never be coming out of that. And I want us to remember that time when you first experienced that, that first love, the freshness of it, the passion of it. And I want us to think about what has happened. Let's think about even in the mornings when you're feeling and you're like, oh, yes, I love you, Lord. Yes, God, stupid dog. Can't believe you pooped in your kennel. Like, come on. And how quickly, well, we have lots of dogs in our house. Haven't we? And I also feel like that goes better than saying stupid kid, like, even though that would be real too. Uh, <laughs> they're like, preach on that all day long. <laughs> so I want us to remember our first love, but I want us to walk in it. Let's think about that word first. In the Greek, it includes the idea of rank. Who has the first rank in your heart? Who has the first rank in your mind? How about in your time? How about in your schedule? What about the content on your social media? What about the content that you click like on? If I were to go and look at it, we used to say, we could see, look at your calendar and checkbook. And tell, now I'm like, no, I just look at your social media. I can tell a lot about you by looking at your, not just the things you post, but the things you like and the things you comment on. Does everything you do reflect that there is a first rank in my life and he is a man and his name is Jesus? Everything that you do, he is first rank. Our spiritual vitality, our vigor, our unction, our passion, it should all spring out of God's love for you. And I'm responding with a love back. I'm responding with an I love you too. Hosea 2.14 says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her. I will bring her out until the wilderness. I will allure her. Come on. No place in Scripture did we, tell, did we see Jesus demanding people to love him. He invited. He allured. He compelled. You couldn't not fall in love with this man. There was something about him that you became spellbound by his person. And this passage is talking about being allured out into a wilderness so that I can speak to her. I can comfort her. It goes on and it says, I will give her her vineyards from there and a valley of Achor as a, as a doorway of hope. A valley of Achor, by the way, is a, is, a, is a valley of death. 
But he's saying, in the valley of death, in the valley of a desert, in the valley of a wilderness, there I will give her a doorway of hope. Note he doesn't say, I'm going to take her out and that will be her hope. He's saying, in this place, I'm going to reveal a hope to her that she has forgotten. I'm going to restore unto her as in the days of her youth and as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt when you first experienced my love. I'm going to bring you back to the days of old and I'm going to remind you, and it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will no longer call me your master, but you will call me your husband. See, what is he doing here? He's saying, I'm intentional to continuously allure you into spaces and places that you would be compelled to call me your husband. I don't want to be your master. I don't want to be your dictator. I want to be your lover. I want to engage in a divine love exchange with you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to cultivate passion with you. I want the fire of the kingdom to be kindled in us day and night. He's talking about the first works, those first times, going back and remembering. Come on, Kenneth, you remember the first time you saw Courtney and you were spellbound by her beauty. And now you see her every day, all the time, in every which way. And if you're not intentional to remember and be reminded that she is your bride it would grow stale. And you would no longer be intentional to say, I see that beauty. I see that beauty. So God is intentional to keep alluring us back into intimacy as in the days of our, uh, in the days of our youth. Now let's talk about this first work. Remember, I'm walking you through this revelation. He is your first love, and he says, all right, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go back to your first work. All the things that you've been doing, isn't it? I need you to go back to your first work. I'm going to teach you here for a moment. You guys ready to be taught? All right. Today, when we hear the word ministry, we think in terms of ministering to people. But I think we've lost the concept and the importance of ministering to the Lord. So in the Old Testament, the priesthood, the Levitical tribe, they did nothing with the people. They did not minister to people at all. In fact, their role was to minister to the Lord in the temple, period. Okay? So the priesthood, the term Kohen, K-O-H-E-N, for those of you who are taking notes, in the Hebrew is commonly used to, re to refer to an official who was set apart from the rest of the community in order to carry out certain duties associated with worship and sacrifice. Let me say that again. They were set apart from the people. That sounds lovely sometimes, does it not, Pastor? We just want to be set apart from the people. We're tired of ministering to the people. But there's good news. The good news is, as a priest, we're not called to minister to people. We're called to minister to the Lord. In the Old Testament, in fact, in Chronicles, David says of the priests, for the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister before God forever. If you remember, Eli, the priest, speaks to uh, Hannah, she gets pregnant, and she says that the boy, Samuel, will be, live in the temple to learn how to minister to the Lord day and night. So the priests were often referred to as ministers of the Lord, not ministers of the people. I'm going to say that again. They were called to minister to the Lord, not minister to the people. 
In several passages throughout Deuteronomy and First Chronicle, it says that the priests were to stand before the Lord and minister, and that they were to minister to him forever. The priests' only service to the Israelite through their continual worship and care of the temple was designed to provide a dwelling place for God where the people could come and meet God for themselves. Y'all are like, what's happening? Let me back it up. The priests go into the temple. They care for the temple. They tend for the temple. They cultivate an atmosphere where God can move. The people come in. The priests don't minister to the people. They've cultivated the atmosphere of God within them and around them to where God is overwhelmingly present in the room and God is ministering to the people himself. Come on, we've got to take the pressure off ourselves. Because you and I are the modern-day priesthood. So their focus was on ministering to God first through the care of the temple. That was their responsibility, the day-to-day operation of the worship sites. Continual ministering and care of the temple, interestingly enough, let me just have a conversation with you real quick because I think you'll find this interesting. Three things, ministering to the temple, sacrificing, and the distribution of the resources. What does that speak about prosperity in the kingdom? Okay. That's not the point of tonight's message, but if you want to hear more about that, let me know. All right, so we are called into the priesthood. In 1 Peter 2.5, it says, You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices accepted to the Lord, to God through Jesus Christ. You are, in, in verse 9, it goes on to say, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God has called you and I as the priesthood into ministry to him. Day and night. Night and day, day and night. Let incense arise. Come on. We all know the song. We sing the song. We have no idea what it means. It means I'm going to continuously be praising and worshiping and ministering to God day and night. And the incense is my praise and my worship, and I'm never going to let it stop. It doesn't say anything about me day and night. I'm going to pour incense on Tammy because Tammy's discouraged. And then i got to go over here and feed Melissa because Melissa's hungry. And now I'm exhausted because I've been ministering to everybody except for God. I'm not making this up. I'm just reading you scripture. I'm really not that smart. So God has called us into the ministry for him first. Our sacrifices should be to him first. First, come on, ladies. Oh, we sacrifice. I just sacrifice. I'm, I'm tired because I, I had to give up my. And tomorrow we're going to talk about some healthy boundaries and how it's healthy and it's good to do some self care and to care for the temple. And the more you care for the temple, the better the ministry that comes out of the temple will be. It is huge. And the church doesn't preach that. Come on. Because it's called self-love. And the world can call it what they want. What we call it is ministering to the temple of the Lord. You understand, you are the temple. You are the tabernacle. You carry the person of God in you. And as the priesthood, you are called day and night, night and day, to minister to the Lord. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. 
Be sure to click subscribe so you can catch each episode every month. I want you to walk in your fullness. For more information about other services and resources, head to my website at www.lisa-schwartz.com. You can also find me on YouTube by searching Lisa Schwartz LLC. I look forward to connecting with you. Remember, enforcing purpose, it starts with you. Thank you.